All right, Saturday night, God speak, praise the Lord. What a blessing. Because of this week, you guys, 2,000 years ago, we are free from the guilt and shame of our sin, and we don't have to fear death any longer. Jesus is risen indeed. Amen. And we want to talk about that tonight. We'll be sharing a passage from Luke chapter 14 from our Anchored in the Word reading plan. And if you haven't picked one of these up and maybe you've never read through God's Word, just want to encourage you. We're taking our passages of Scripture from those. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. The precious servants of the Lord are going to get those to you. Raise your hand. You want to find Luke chapter 14 for our message that we're going to be sharing in a few moments you're invited to Easter dinner, and I hope somebody's invited you to Easter dinner. Here, we need one up here. Uh, this weekend, whether it's tonight or tomorrow, just the, the joy of breaking bread and fellowshipping with people about the good news of who Jesus is. But I wanted to give you just a, a brief update. You know, last week we shared some heavy things, and anytime something changes, uh, I want to bring that up as well. Last week we talked about the craziness of the Satan shoes, and uh, I really uh, thought Nike was a part of that, but this week they came out and sued um, because they used their platform for their shoe, but they weren't a part of it. And I, I don't know if this is a publicity stunt, but I was... I, don't, I didn't think that Nike even had a line that they would draw, and so praise the Lord, they're uh, suing over the Satan shoe thing. So guys, we have to get every ounce of good news we possibly can, right? So in, in a season of bad news, and then I shared with you AB655 that is going to the floor in the uh, California legislators vote on April 6th, and it had such strong language, it basically would have uh, eradicated all of the conservatives or Christian police officers in the state. And, uh, but since I shared last week, the conservative pressure on them was so strong, they changed the language that it's no longer so for that. So praise the Lord. I just want you to know that when you stand up and speak and make a difference, it does make a difference. And so sometimes we feel like just throwing our hands up, oh, we can't uh, push back at all. But it's not the case. But I wanted to share with you, yesterday we had a great Good Friday service. Pastor Rob shared a powerful message. The place was packed as we celebrated uh, that Good Friday. It's good for us. It was harsh and brutal for our Savior who paid the price. But yesterday... I don't know if you saw this clip, but in Great Britain, in London, a Polish Catholic church was in the middle of mass for Good Friday, and the police came in and shut down their service in London. And I want to show you this little 30-second clip. Check this out. I, I want you to know as you watch it, be so thankful for the Declaration of Independence, or we would be under British rule today. And uh, at least now, I guess we're still scrapping with uh, our own uh, tyrants, but at least they're not tyrants from over the sea. Check out this little clip. This uh, gathering is unfortunately lawful, unlawful under the coronavirus regulations we have currently. You are not allowed to meet inside with this many people under law. At this moment in time, you need to go home, failure to comply with this direction to leave and go to your home address ultimately could lead you to be fined £200 or if you fail to give your details to you being arrested. I suggest, ladies and gentlemen, though it is quite a... It is Good Friday, and I appreciate you would like to worship that this gathering is unlawful, so please may you leave the building now. Thank you. So they were gonna, going to be fined 200 pounds, which is like 277 American dollars, and if they wouldn't leave, then they would be arrested. And uh, so I just want you guys to practice with me because they, it may be coming here. There's a pastor up in Canada that's in jail for preaching the gospel, and uh, they have him in solitary confinement. He only gets out of solitary confinement 30 minutes a day as he awaits trial in Canada. And uh, I just want you to practice. Let's say the police officers come in here, right? Really peaceful. And, and in your best all of a twist, say, please handcuff me, sir. Because that's what they're going to have to do to take us away 
and I'll tell everybody, get your cell phones out and uh, get some footage, and we'll spread the news, you know, so you just got to practice. Now, I know some of you have never been handcuffed, and God bless you good citizens, I've been handcuffed for bad things, so it's no big deal to get handcuffed for good things, right? Amen. Amen. <laughs> hey, if you found your way to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Luke chapter 14, we're going to be picking up in verse 16, reading through verse 24. For our message, you're invited to Easter dinner. Then he said to him, Jesus speaking, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another, this is my favorite, said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Verse 21, so that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, master, it is done as you commanded and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Then my house may be filled, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Father, we just ask right now that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see wonderful things from your precious word. Lord, you tell us that your word is like a hammer that breaks rocks and pieces. Lord, may you break our stony hearts and may we be soft towards you, Lord Jesus, as you paid the ultimate price in giving your life for us as we celebrate that this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to share with you four things from this passage of scripture for our outline, and that is the master's invitation, the guest's excuses, the master's response, and the master's finality. We start with the invitation, and this invitation that it declares that a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. Now, this is not just your average, we're out to dinner with a few friends, right? This is, a, this is a great supper, more like the bottom than the top. Both are great in this season of corona. When you can get together with friends or family right now, or go into a restaurant without a mask, don't you just go, hallelujah, 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 right? It's just a glorious time. I have met people this weekend, especially a number of people yesterday at Good Friday. It was the first time they've been in a group like this for one year. An entire year. They have not been with a group like this. And they were so blessed. They were, their cup ran over. They were just overflowing with joy and the blessing of being able to get together. Now this is a very special supper in the illustration that Jesus is giving. This is really, you guys, so that you know from the beginning as we walk through it and you can connect the dots about the parable and how it's cast alongside our life and our response to the invitation of God inviting us to supper. He's inviting us to dinner. I don't know about you. I have some, my grandparents were from Missouri. They call it Missouri. And uh, they were sharecroppers. And so when I spent time with my grandparents, they wanted me to know because I was constantly calling lunch, lunch, and they wanted to call it dinner and then supper, dinner. Any of you guys have that experience? Any, any Midwesterners? Okay, so we all use it interchangeably, right? Hey, let's go out for supper. Let's go out for dinner. But for them, that was just a no-go. And they wanted to train me in the uh, old school <laughs> etiquette of things. Now, dinner is lunchtime. It's the big main meal. Now, my grandfather got up at four to milk about 25 head of cows, and then at four again in the afternoon, he milked that 25 head of cows, and he did that seven days a week. That was his life, and if we had to get up with him in the morning, and for a kid, that was quite painful, but if we told him at the night we were getting up in the morning, there was no getting out of it, 
And so their training that they had a huge meal for dinner or lunchtime and then supper was a little lighter meal. Now this is a grand, great feast. This supper that is laid out here is spectacular. And the invitation goes all the way through the scriptures. This, this whole picture of intimacy, of fellowship or relationship is based around eating. And the Mid Middle Eastern thought is this, the bread that's nourishing you is nourishing me and so now we're connected because we're sharing, we're breaking bread. This is the importance of fellowship. My son who has a great walk with the Lord and has a great uh, picture of this. He, he tells me, Dad, you know, when we break bread with one another, something magical happens. It's spiritual. It's just a Jesus thing. And he was trying to share with me how to do this uh, program that he had come up with in his mind for the fellowship. And it really changed the chemistry and the intimacy of our staff. What a blessing to be able to break bread with one another. But more importantly, to have true fellowship, you have to discover breaking bread with the Lord in a spiritual sense. And that's what this whole parable is about. You know, Jesus said to the church in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You see, the famous picture, if you've ever seen it, by the painter William Hunt, is it, oftentimes it'll be in a leaflet in a Bible. You'll see him knocking on the door. Any of you ever seen that picture of Jesus knocking on a door? Well, his artist friends began to mock him because it, when it was finished, there was no, no door handle. And so, look, you finished your painting, there's no door. And he, and he was very serious. He said, the door handle is on the inside. Only you can open the door when Jesus knocks. Isn't that true for each one of us? When Jesus is knocking on the door of each one of our hearts, he wants to come in and have fellowship. He wants to break spiritual bread with us. He wants to share life with us. And even taking it to another level, he tells us in John chapter 14, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And this is the part I love, one of my favorite verses. We will come to him and make our home with him. The Father and the Son, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, is making his home inside of me. As it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, I now become the temple of the Holy Spirit. You now become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you have that kind of intimacy with Jesus in this Easter season? That's what it's all about, folks. That's what his death, burial, and resurrection was to make a way for us to come into that incredible, intimate relationship with him and Jesus's coming makes all of that possible. Now, we want to look at these excuses. Now, Billy Sunday, the famous evangelist, said, excuses are a skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Isn't that true? I want you to know I am the king of blowing people off with excuses if I want to. All of us are. As a matter of fact, unless you're really motivated to do something, you can come up with any kind of excuse. I'm sorry, I can't help you move. I have to wash my cat. I mean, you... You'll come up with something, right? If you're not sincere and there's not a desire, and yet look at this as it says in verse 17, and sent his servant, the master sent out a servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready, but they all with one accord or unanimously began to make excuses. You see, I'm that servant here tonight. Pastor Rob's that servant through the services tomorrow. We are the servant inviting people to come to supper with Jesus. He's made it possible for us. We can have this incredible spiritual feast. We can be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. A supernatural work of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we've never experienced before. The guilt and shame of our sins washed away. So now we're confident before the Lord. Our condemnation is gone. And now we stand righteous before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But we all know what it's like to make excuses. Some of us have made multiple excuses to the Lord. And we'll explore just a few of those. But right here, we see the first excuse is about property development. You know, some of us love property. We love to develop property. You're a businessman. You have resources. You buy this piece. You invest in it. You sell it. You make a dollar. And it says in verse 18, the first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. I ask you to have me excused. Now, it appears that the Holy Spirit, through Luke, 
is giving us somewhat of a smirky sense of humor because who buys a piece of land and then goes to see it, right? If that's so, we, we have some waterfront property for you in Death Valley. I think that some realtors should win a Pulitzer surprise, uh, surprise, <laughs> prize for their writing skills when it comes to writing ads for a house. Haven't you? I used to flip homes, so I would scan these ads, and I did flip homes. I, I did do these things, and my wife and I did it together for a number of years to help us in ministry in those early lean years. I would make money from flipping homes. I'd find the good deal, and I would come, and they would say, a real fixer-upper, you show up, it's a pile of wood. That's beyond, <laughs> you know, it's like some of the, the, the descriptions, a great starter home. I mean, it's like a shoebox. The ads that draw people in. But in this case, this person was busier buying property, turning over property, building his real estate empire, and he really had no time to come to dinner with Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with developing property. As a matter of fact, to me, it's a total blast. I love it. I love to buy property and turn it over and things. But did you know that you can turn over property and you can develop property and still love Jesus? It's possible. There's no reason that the two are mutually exclusive unless you want to have an excuse. You know, I got a big project, big property that I'm developing. I just, I don't have time to surrender my life to Jesus in this season. Isn't it true, the things that we think in our minds preventing us as an obstacle, as a brick wall between us and the Lord. And that's what this person is saying. You know what? I got the invitation. No, thank you. I'm very busy. The next one was business expansion, if you will, in verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Once again, he bought them, and now he's going to go test them? Do you buy a car and then go test drive it? No. You do it in advance. But he's going to buy five yoke of oxen. That means ten oxen because a yoke obviously is a pair. And so this is quite an incredible uh, investment for a farmer. So he's going through business expansion. Hey, we got to expand our farming. We have to bring on uh, more hired hands. We have to buy more oxen. And because of that, he asked to have him excused. You know, the oxen of that day was like the John Deere tractor, the Massey Ferguson. And yet, even in that endeavor, there's nothing wrong with hard work and expanding your business. The first guy was close to that in the sense of property development. This person's in business expansion. And isn't that the first thing that goes out the door in our fellowship is when we get really busy? The first thing that happens when you get really busy, even as a child of God so often, is I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have to come, time to come to church on Sunday. I just don't have time for those things. Now, don't get me wrong. We can all go through seasons where we're simply overwhelmed by life. But deep in your heart, if you want that relationship with the Lord, you're going to make a way to get to him, because I've discovered that whatever I'm passionate about, I make time for. How about you? Whatever I'm passionate about, it's amazing how my schedule parts like the Red Sea, because I want to do that, right? That's what I'm into. And so if Jesus is that which I'm into, it's amazing how everything else just becomes a lower priority in life and falls into its proper place. It doesn't mean it disappears. It doesn't mean we don't develop property or expand our business, but I just encourage you, invite Jesus into that process all the way through. Just have him as your partner. Have, hey, Lord, what do you think about this property? What do you think about that? Is this gonna be too much for me? What about this business expansion? Invite Jesus and the fellowship into every dimension of your walk with him. But as I said, this was my favorite, the last one in verse 20. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. <laughs> he just says, I got married, my life is now over. <laughs> Maybe he believed the uh, cynical view that the world has about marriage. There's three rings of marriage. There's the engagement ring, there's the wedding ring, and then there's suffering. Not true, next month I'll be married for 35 years and I'm a blessed man. 
First time I saw Tammy Ray Davis, that's her maiden name, she was 12 years old in our, uh, in our elementary school in a small little farm town that we grew up in, in Idaho. And uh, it's amazing. Now from our first day, it's been 39 years, almost 40 years. And it's not good English, but this is the way we talk in Idaho. It just gets gooder and gooder. <laughs> right? It just gets gooder and gooder. And I really believe what Jesus said in John chapter 2. The parable, not, not the parable, but his miracle at the wedding. The master of the banquet said, when Jesus turned the water into wine, because the, the, the wedding, the marriage, had ran out of wine. And I want you to know, or know that no couple is ever going to get married to where you can satisfy each other's deep needs. You can love each other, but only Jesus is designed to meet those needs of the deepest nature of your heart. I can't meet Tammy's deepest needs, and she can't meet my deepest needs, but we can try to love one another and serve each other, and therefore our expectations are on the Lord rather than an over-expectation on each other. And because of that, the master of the banquet, when he tasted the wine, he said, most people, this is the way it works, my mom was a bartender for 35 years. I know, I was raised in bars. The way it works is he said, most people at a wedding, they bring out the really good wine, the high dollar stuff, and after people have had three or four, it really doesn't matter how good the quality is after that. <laughs> Give me a never drink. I mean, it could be real swill. And that's what my mom said with different bars that she worked at. You know, you give them a good, the good stuff for maybe the first two drinks, and after that, you do the knockoff stuff. You start giving them the cheap stuff. Because they, you know, their taste buds now, it doesn't matter. And yet, this is what the master of the banquet said. And I believe this is an incredible picture for you who are married. And that is, he said, most people bring out the good stuff and then they bring out the inferior. But you've saved the best until now. I want you to know, as the years go by, if you can get over every one of those hard obstacles and challenges that come through relationships, on the other side of that, it'll change your relationship from glory to glory. The best is now. The best is yet to come because of the level and depth of understanding. Doesn't mean relationships in marriage are one of the most difficult things. But I promise you, if I had not have been a Christian or Tammy had not been a Christian, one or the other, or both of us, I'd already be married six or seven times or lived with whoever. Because only Jesus could do the work in a deep nature that both of us needed and continues to. We joke with each other all the time. We ain't out of the woods yet, right? Life's not over yet. There's lots of stuff in front of us, lots of hardships, lots of challenges. But I just want you to know that it does not have to be drudgery. You do not have to just survive a relationship, get married and survive 60 years. But you can thrive. So just ask yourself in your relationship, am I thriving or am I surviving? And the difference maker is the lordship of Jesus in each one of your hearts. That's the difference. That's the game changer. And this guy, he didn't care. You know, oftentimes it is a husband or a wife that is holding the other back from a relationship with God. One wants to be passionate about God and the other does not. But there's other excuses, right? There's not just, hey, I'm too busy with property development, I'm too busy with business expansion, I'm too busy with a relationship. There's other things. People have all kinds of excuses. You share the gospel with someone and, and, and some young person, they go, I'm too young to come to Jesus. I say, what do you mean by that? They grow up in the church and they're like, well, I want to I wanna have a testimony before, you know, I mean, they're going to go work on their testimony for a while. <laughs> I'm too young. I don't. And I thought this, the first time I understood the gospel, I was 13. It was between my seventh and eighth grade summer. My dad drugged me. Literally, I had a drug problem. It was my dad dragging me to church that summer that I lived with him, and I understood the gospel for the first time, and I thought to myself, oh, I, I can't believe in Jesus because, I, I don't know, you do that when you're old. You know what old was to me at 13? 30. 30 was just like, you're half dead at 30. And I'm like, you know, you get to 30, then you surrender your life to Jesus. I thought I was too young to come to Christ. But then there are other people at the other end of the spectrum. I'll have somebody that's in their 70s, they go, oh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I'm too old to come to Jesus. I'm like, dude, you look like you got a foot on a banana peel on the other in the grave. You better come to Jesus right now. 
right? It's the most, it's imperative. This is a must right now. You need to come to Jesus. Others say, oh, pastor, I'm too bad. I'm too bad to come to church. I've heard some of your testimonies here. If it is true that if you're bad, God would strike this place with lightning, this place would be a huge crater (laughs) because of the sin represented in this room, right? You're not too bad to come to Jesus. You're not too young. You're not too old. You're also, this is the hardest one. You're not too good. You know, you Christians, you guys really need help. I've heard some of your stories. You're just, you're bad people, but I'm a good person. I was on the honor roll. You know, I do blood drives. I help people. I'm, I'm a good, kind people. And heaven is filled up with good, kind people like me from Minnesota. Oofta. <laughs> oh, yeah? You know good people don't go to heaven? Only forgiven people go to heaven. Only forgiven people go to heaven. And even the, the person that is, thinks they're good and they're too good for Jesus or a person that is gonna have the surprise of their life as they enter into eternity. You see, you're not too bad, you're not too good, you're not too busy unless you choose to embrace that, you're not too lazy, you have to press into the things of the Lord. Well, I'm angry at God, I don't wanna surrender to God. Well, he'll help you with your anger, he'll bring forgiveness. I'm bitter about the things that have happened in life. And maybe you're just too peaceful. You're like, you know, it's all good. I don't need Jesus. I came, I came here at Easter. I got a family member, and they wanted to take me to, take me to church. Any of you have that problem? You promise them a meal afterwards, and get them, take them to church. And they just endure it. That's what I did. My, my family was Christians. They would take me to church when I was a kid. I'd, I'd just roll my eyes, and it was just like, oh, this is the most painful experience of my life, <laughs> going to church. And I really felt that way. And, and it, because I just... I didn't want anything to do with God. I simply didn't want anything to do with God. I could put whatever excuse on it that I possibly could, but I wanted nothing to do with God. You see, these three excuses held no weight because the master's response to this, if the master got these responses, you think, oh, I understand. That's great. I sent my son to die on a brutal cross hang naked on a cross for you for the sins of the world to be buried and rise from the dead and you're too busy with a property development and you're too busy with expanding your business and you're too busy with your other relationships. How's the master of the house going to respond? It says in verse 21, so that servant came and reported these things. The master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the, the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Bring them all in here. First, he's angry at the excuses. And then he says, well, I've got all this food prepared. Who's who's hungry, right? The the poor that are in the land, the maimed, the lame, those who are devastated financially, those who have no resources, and those who have physical disabilities or handicaps so that it's hard for them. They have the, uh, the poor people and the maimed and the blind. They have no business expansion, they have no property development, and they might have a hard time even having a relationship, so they got time. And that's the bottom line. Now, why was their excuses so egregious, if you will? Why? Because you see in their culture, when you RSVP'd, right, you get that You discover as you become adult and you get these invitations, RSVP. First, you think to yourself, what's that even mean? And it comes from a French phrase, which means simply to please reply. And then you grow further in your etiquette as you get these wedding invitations through the years. And then if the RSVP says regrets only, at first you figure out what do you mean regrets only? You only respond if you regretfully cannot come. But you see in their day, how did you do that? They went around and they got an invitation to every single one of these people. And the mass preparation for a huge supper like this was so intense. And how are you going to let them know a timing? It has to be hot and they have to have it ready. So what they would do is send the the servant around. As soon as the food was almost ready, they would run around and tell everybody. So it was basically this, uh, they they couldn't text everybody, correct? So these people had already promised. The invitation had went out, whether it's weeks or months before, and every one of these people agreed to come. And then the day came, and they said, oh, we don't want to come. It's very much like you talk to people today. And if I asked, generally, somebody, hey, when you die, would you like to go to heaven? 
Every, I mean, unless somebody's a total moron, they go, yeah, I want to go to heaven. Are you doing anything about that? Well, no, I'm busy and, I, you know, this, I don't, can't wrap my mind around the Jesus thing and that Christianity is the only way. And they, they go into all of this stuff. But generally, people want to go, right? You go to a funeral of a total heathen dog that wanted nothing to do with God and everybody up there says, they're in a better place. They're fishing along the stream in heaven. They're driving their big semi down the road of the golden streets. They go through this thing and everybody around them is looking at each other like, dude, that, that dude busted hell wide open, but we're here to remember him. <laughs> but nobody says, you know, I, I, I want to be rejected by God because I, I don't want to surrender my life to him. Nobody says that. You see, the understanding that these people had agreed in advance to be there and then they bagged out. A lot of people, as the old saying goes, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. People want to get right with God, but they just get busy about their lives and they step into eternity because they don't, they've lost sight of that. I was at the Council for National Policy, Tammy and I and Rob and Michelle, which is, it was an incredible event. It's conservative leaders, political leaders, Christians. We were able to meet Governor DeSantis and all of these individuals, Mark Meadows, President Trump's chief of staff. And it was just an incredible event. The speakers were incredible. But one of the things they kept asking us on this specific dinner on a Saturday night, are you gonna be here? Please RSVP because it's important. If you're not, just let us know if you're going somewhere else. So we did. We wanted to, you know, enjoy the dinner with all of these people. And there were two people that didn't show up. Now, your name, you had a name card for everybody. And so you had to find your name card, find your table, find your name card, and sit there. And the director of the event came up, and he put his hand on the two empty seats, and he knew the people personally, and he said, they RSVP'd. We asked them yesterday. They assured us we were going to be here. And I was a little curious, like, well, I understand, but I was thinking to myself, I don't know that it's really that big a deal, is it? And he said, don't you understand? If they weren't going to show up, each one of these plates that they're not here to eat is, is just a little under $300 a plate. It was at the Ritz-Carlton. And, uh, and, he, and he was, you know, he's the director, so he's thinking budget, he's thinking waste, he's thinking all of these different things, and why didn't they just let us know? And he was disappointed, just about 300 bucks a piece. What if the price that is paid for you to show up at this dinner is the very blood of the Son of God? Because it tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 that you are not redeemed with silver or gold from your aimless conduct that you received by tradition from your fathers, but you are redeemed with the precious blood of the Lamb, without spot, without blemish. That's the price tag for you to be here. That's the price tag for us to enjoy this weekend is the incredible grace and the love that was demonstrated in Jesus' life that was laid down for us. You see, those who were financially destitute, those who were physically broken, their lives were just devastated, they recognized their need and they did not have enough resources to be distracted with anything else. Romans 5, 6 says, when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. When you and I were strengthless, powerless, and we saw our need, that's when we came to Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 12, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Man, when you're sick, you need a doc. And you have to recognize your need to be able to respond to this invitation to come to this incredible feast that the Lord has prepared for us. Now, he had told them, because the meal is hot, you got to feed these people, bring in the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And in verse 22, it says, And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there's room. Our father's house is obviously really big. There's plenty of room for everybody. And it says, Then the master said to the servant, Go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled the servant said, there's still room. And the master said, go out to the hedges and the highways. That meant there are people that were displaced. They're either homeless or they're foreigners that are there with no place. Fugitives, if you will. A fugitive is running from home. Maybe those who are running from the law. A vagabond has no home. A pilgrim is headed home. And we're headed home to Jesus. Those who would hear this response 
of the master and the good news and such a beautiful thing. He says, I want my house to be full. I want heaven to be full. What is the father's heart? What is the son's heart? What is the spirit's heart is for heaven to be filled with people that discover the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Tells us in Ephesians 2, verse 12 and 13, at that time you were without Christ before you came to Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers for the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. At one time you and I were far from God. And he has brought us into his love, into his relationship, and chosen to live inside of us by his grace and his spirit. And it uses a strong word here that actually people took to a a dangerous extreme through the inquisitions in verse 23. It said, go out into those highways and hedges and compel them to come in. We would just say, persuade them. My obligation in my service to the Lord is to persuade people, but not to twist anybody's arm. Right? Because at the end of the day, if somebody talks you into the gospel, somebody can talk you out of the gospel. So the goal is to present the goodness of God and then let people, through the persuasion of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word, make their own determination if they want their soul to be saved and their sins to be forgiven and that they would be destined for heaven. You see... Paul the Apostle said it so well in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are ambassadors for Christ as though, think of it, in this moment, anytime you hear a preacher, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And reconciliation means to be friendly with God. It's reconciliation, this Greek word, is where there's hostility. You and God are at enmity. You don't want anything to do with God. You don't want anything to do with his people or his word or even to hear the message of Jesus. And when you turn your heart in repentance and faith in Jesus, then there's a friendly relationship that is mended. You know, when something falls apart in a relationship, even in divorce court, we're getting divorced for irreconcilable. There's hostility. There's no friendship any longer irreconcilable differences. And people have irreconcilable differences with with God. And Paul the Apostle said, God pleads through us. When you're sharing your faith with your friend, with your family member, with your coworker, with your neighbor, God is pleading through you as a child of God to that person. He's pleading through you. What an incredible thing to be an instrument of God. But but the Lord wants his house to be full, so he's going to plead through his people to see people saved because he wants his house to be full. It tells us in 1 Timothy 2.4, who desires all men to be saved. What's God's desire? That all men would be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3.9, for the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why is God so patient? Why is he letting the world go into this very dark season? Because this weekend, some people here at Godspeak are gonna give their hearts to the Lord and the Lord's patience paid off, right? How many of you, how many of you, if we're not a Christian 10 years ago, please raise your hand. You were not a Christian 10 years ago, raise your hand, okay? Now, aren't you glad that Jesus tarried till you could get in the door, right? You're excited about that, amen. Now, how many of you were not Christians 20 years ago? Okay, we got some longtime Christians or a bunch of liars, one of the two, I'm not sure which it is. <laughs> Nevertheless, <laughs> right? But you think about it, as soon as I got saved, I'm like, come quickly, Lord Jesus, I'm ready to go to heaven. (laughs) Forget everybody else, I'm ready to go. But every day that we endure this life means more fruit for people surrendering and bowing their knee to the throne at the foot of the cross to Jesus Christ our Lord. God is not willing that any should perish, but he wants all to come to repentance Now, the master's finality to me is stunning. And it's startling, the finality that he says. Now, this is what's going on. Now his house is getting filled up with people that are believing in his son. They're coming to the feast. And it says in verse 24, For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. 
He felt the need in this passage to say, I invited all these people. And for our application, I've shared Jesus with all of these people. And how many of those people would reject the Lord, make excuses why they wouldn't surrender their life to Christ? How many people, you guys, are going to go into eternity without Jesus as their Savior, but they heard about him their entire life? And he said, with finality, he says, none of those people that I invited to have dinner with my son and I are ever going to taste this meal. They're never going to taste it. It's over. Now that moment happens in the life of a person when they breathe their last and the opportunity's gone. That's what I pray for, for the people that I love, those people that are hard-hearted. And yeah, they've heard about the Lord. And this is a sad, tragic thing. Even a lot of people in churches, because they go to a church, they think they're a Christian. Does going to McDonald's make you a Big Mac? No. Does going to a garage make you a car? No. Right? You have to open the door of your heart personally. So often people, you ask him, are you a Christian? Like, oh, my wife's a wonderful Christian. I didn't ask about your wife. I'll talk to her later. How about you? If people deflect that. Have you noticed that? Hey, are you a Christian? Well, you know my aunt and uncle are missionaries. Did I ask about your aunt and uncle? Don't care about your aunt. I mean, I do, but I'm just saying, you're right here. I'm having a conversation with you. You see, Jesus said this startling statement in Matthew 7, 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody that falsely professes they've believed in Jesus have believed in Jesus. He says, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, don't be duped. Don't be naive. How many religious people have never surrendered their heart to the Lord? It tells us in 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows. It's not my job to, you know, sort it all out. My job is just to declare the message and to put it forth. Maybe you've heard about the three surprises of heaven. There can be three surprises in heaven. First of all, those who are not there. You're going to get to heaven, you're going to look around for so-and-so. Joe and Sally, no offense if your name's Joe or Sally. There's going to be a lot of Joes and Sallys. But the person that you know, right? You get to heaven, we're going to be there, and people, it's a little bit humorous, and I'm going to try to tame my uh, humor. But they say, Pastor Rick, do you think we're going to know each other in heaven? I'm like, well, I hope we're not stupider in heaven than we are here. You know what I mean? It's like, I know you. I mean, if I know you, I know you. But it, it appears that, and I just want you to know, in heaven, no name tag re required. You say, how do you know that? Well, when Jesus, Peter, Andrew, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah showed up on the mountaintop, and Peter, James, and, uh, Peter, James, and John all knew that it was Moses and Elijah. Now, they had never seen a Kodak photo, right? Well, I mean, Moses was a giveaway because it was Charlton Heston, but... Right, we didn't know who Elijah was. But they knew who Moses and Elijah were, representing the law and the prophets. Don't you realize that when we get to heaven, we're gonna know each other. It's not only, I'm gonna know everyone because we are gonna know as we are fully known. I'm gonna know, hang out with King David and talk with him. I, I mean, all these heroes of faith, for me, I'm gonna know them and you're going to know them. But this frightening thought, with the finality that the Lord speaks this, he says, none of these people that I invited that chose to reject the invitation are gonna taste of my heavenly meal. Now, there's a startling truth. It's the only unforgivable sin in the Bible. Did you know that? There's only one unforgivable sin. Now, people think there's lots. There's only one. It tells us in Matthew 12, 32, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. What's that mean? It means that the spirit of the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart throughout your whole life. And opportunities, you go to a wedding, they share the gospel. You go to a funeral, they share the gospel. You went to a Sunday school, they shared the gospel. You went to a vacation Bible school, they shared the gospel. A coworker shared the, shared the gospel. Your brother, your sister shared the gospel. And you go through this life. And let me tell you, even as dark as America is, it's very tough to live 70 to 80 years without hearing that Jesus loves you, died on the cross, was buried and rose from the dead for you. Isn't it? That's pretty tough. Whether you saw Billy Graham on television, where, wherever you had the opportunity, you've heard the gospel. And so with that comes that responsibility, that accountability 
But to me, the most startling thing to think of is when the Lord no longer has words for you. Meaning, when Jesus was asked or somebody declared to him, hey, don't you know Herod's looking for you? And Jesus says, you tell that fox that, you know, three days, I, I, I've got stuff to do. And, and Jesus' words were really strong. He called him a fox. And then when Jesus went before him, do you know that Jesus spoke in the Sanhedrin? Jesus spoke to Pont, Pontius Pilate. Do you know that he had not one single word for Herod, who had beheaded his cousin, John the Baptist? It appears that his soul was gone, that he had, he had made that decision and the Lord knew that it was a no-go. It tells us in Luke 13, 9, he questioned him, speaking of Herod, questioning Jesus with many words, but he answered him nothing. To me, the scariest thing is to have God stop talking to me because I'm not listening. That's frightening. I don't care that he rebukes me. I don't care he encourages me. Just don't t- stop talking. <laughs> right? Because there was a finality. There is a line that people cross we know not when. There is a time in life where they say no for the last time on planet earth, and the Lord honors it because he's a perfect gentleman. He goes, okay, you you don't want me? You don't want to come to dinner? You don't want to come to my heaven? You don't want to come to my son and believe in him and say Jesus is Lord? Fine. I leave you to yourself and I am gonna give you for eternity exactly what you want, and that is an eternity without God because you want nothing to do with God now. That's why I earnestly pray for the people I love that have yet to surrender their life to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, just let that, let that get to their last breath to still have opportunity to come to Christ. Do you feel about that about anybody? Well, I have an incredible story. I don't know how many of you have ever heard about Bob Vernon, but Bob Vernon was a police officer in the LAPD. At one time, he was the assistant uh, chief, and at, you know, at one point, he was considered, but because of his strong Christian faith, they uh, pushed him aside. An incredible Christian, incredible speaker, and he shares this story that really stuck with him throughout the years. He showed up. He was the sergeant of the shift, whatever it is, lieutenant on the shift. He showed up to a shooting, and a guy was dead, and some police officers on his team had taken the guy down. He had recently robbed a store or something, and he was there. And when he showed up to talk with his police officers, he said, was there any eyewitnesses? And one of the officers said, well, there's one of those Jesus freaks sitting over there on the curb, and we've already talked to him, and you can go hear his thing. And and so he goes up to him, and they didn't know that Bob Vernon was a Christian. And so he goes up to talk to the guy. And, and the guy said, you know, I've never had this so powerful before me in, uh, in my life. He said, I'm a Christian, he told Bob. And um, I, was, I came out of the store, and I saw this guy standing there, and he looked, he looked troubled. And he said, in a very supernatural way, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I want you to go share my love with that guy. And so the Christian went up to him and said, hey, how you doing? My name's so-and-so, da-da-da. And hey, has anybody ever told you about Jesus? And the guy said, yes, they have. And he said, you mind if I tell you about Jesus? So he went ahead and told him about Jesus. And the guy said, I've had a number of opportunities in my life to come to Jesus and I had a number of people share with me. Thank you for sharing that with me, but no thank you. He stepped away from the guy, and because there was eight, you know, he had robbed this place, and the cops were looking for him, they pulled right up as the Christians stepped away, jumped out, and the guy pulled out a gun, and they shot and killed him on the spot. And the witness, who was a Christian, he said, I was so blown away that God threw the lifeline to him one more time, right before he entered eternity. You say, well, I don't have to worry about getting shot by the cops. I can fall over right now from an aneurysm. You see, you need to be prepared to meet God now because your soul may be required of you. In this beautiful story, in this picture, there's an invitation. And that's what the servant was there to do. He was to invite people to come to the master's banquet and to fill up his house. That's what God's called me to do. Invite people to the Lord's master, the banquet. As a matter of fact, I would like to invite you to a heavenly dinner, a heavenly supper that the Bible talks about in Revelation chapter 19. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
no mask required. It's beautiful. <laughs> Revelation 19.9 says, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You and I are going to be able to celebrate in a heavenly feast with our Lord. As a matter of fact, not only am I inviting you, but Revelation 22.17 says, the spirit and the bride say come. The spirit and the whole church. If you're here and you're a Christian, all of you in the bottom of your heart, you are wanting those who are in this room to come to that marriage supper of the Lamb and to come to heaven. It says, let him who hears come. So if you hear, come on. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely the incredible living waters of the work of God's Spirit when we come to Christ. You see, the message, the method, and the moment as we wrap it all up. What's the simple message? If you want to know the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 shares, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the entire message. Now, obviously, there's a lot more in this book to grow in your walk with the Lord, but that's the message. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He was buried for three days, and he rose from the dead. That's the gospel. It's not more. It's not less. That's simply the gospel. Because you see, a lot of people only show up on Christmas or Easter, and sometimes those Christmas or Easter services are not very bold with the gospel. You know, sometimes they're very flowery or this or that. But we want to make sure, if I'm a good servant, you're going to really get to the banquet, right, in heaven. i got to be pretty direct. Have I not been direct enough? My goal is to be very direct so that there's no misunderstanding that if a third grader's in here, they can totally understand. If I open my heart to Jesus and I ask him to forgive me of my sins because he paid the price on the cross and rose from the dead, I'm going to go to heaven for eternity. As a matter of fact, Paul tells the Romans so succinctly in Romans 10, 9 and 10, and then verse 13, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Get that. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is my Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're going to be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Well, who's that invitation for? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, verse 13, shall be saved. Whoever. Are you a whosoever? Right? I'm a whosoever. You know, when Jesus saved my soul, I had put, I woke up in a strange house that morning because I had been at a drunken party. I had to go out and find the street sign to know where I was in my hometown. We went to the bar and started drinking. I put together a couple of drug deals. And then I went home Sunday afternoon in February 1984, half drunk, and God spoke to me. Why don't you pray? Half drunk, after a couple of drug deals, after an all-night bender, God broke in and his presence filled my living room of my home all by myself. Nobody was preaching to me. I wasn't going to church. I wasn't watching a Billy Graham crusade. God came after me with his love and he met me and I fell on my knees and I asked God to forgive me for all the wicked things that I've been doing. You see, in that moment, I knew Jesus had died for me on the cross. And then he had rose from the dead and his presence was with me in the room at that moment. I sensed the living God like I had never sensed before in my life. And my life's never been the same. Because you see, that work that God does, the good work that he begins, he's gonna bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He's gonna finish the job he started in your life and in my life. And you go, yeah, but I don't know about the moment. If that's the message, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, the method is just, I open my heart, I believe in, that he rose from the dead and I confess with my mouth. Well, this is the moment. In 2 Corinthians 6.2, it says, in an acceptable time I have heard you and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow is not here. The devil's day is always manana. Oh, you know, later, next week, next month, whatever. You know, I'll think about that. It's always, the, the, that's the devil's word. Manana, man. Tomorrow. No, it's today. Today is the day of salvation. As I mentioned, a lot of people come on Christmas and Easter only. That's why we call them CEO. They're CEOs. Christmas, Easter only. That's when they come. And maybe you're CEO and you've never had a clear declaration, but you love to say, I go to church on Christmas and Easter. And you've went on a lot of Christmas or Easters. 
but may this be the day of salvation, this moment, at this time, right now. If your soul was to be required of you this week, you would have absolute confidence once you open your heart to Jesus and he comes in, he's conquered sin and he's conquered death, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord and the fear of death he will remove so that you look forward to spending eternity with him in heaven. The longer I walk with the Lord, I'm just, I'm homesick for heaven. I can't wait to get there. I watch the political scene. I go, Jesus, please, today, take me. I'm ready. (laughs) We're going to pray right now. I just want to invite you to open your heart. Open your heart to the Lord. I'm going to ask you saints to help them along. We're going to pray out loud. Because you see, a part of that is believing that God raised Jesus from the dead. And the other part is confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. So I want you to know right now you're in a room of the majority. You're never going to find a friendlier crowd to come out of the closet and into faith in Jesus. Everybody's coming out of the closet these days. So you might as well come out of the closet and believe in Jesus and go on public record. How about it? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that your spirit right now would do your work in this room that you would draw, that you would strengthen, that you would build up, and that you would draw men and women, young or old, into a saving knowledge of you. Thank you for all the saints that are here tonight, Lord, and I know the majority of them are saints, that they've trusted in you for years. But there is someone, one man, one woman, maybe a dozen, that have yet to open their heart to you. And I pray that you would draw them now with your presence and your power and your love. So we're just in an attitude of prayer right now. I just want to invite you to open your heart by faith. If you want to know Jesus as your Savior, want to know your sins are forgiven, and know that you are promised eternity with him in heaven, I just want to invite you to pray with me right now. Just repeat after me. Maybe you don't know the words. You don't know what to do. But I just want to give you a way to open your heart to Jesus through this prayer. Pray with me now. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me and that you love me and that you rose from the dead and you are alive and well and you are here right now knocking on the door of my heart. Lord Jesus, I'm opening my heart to you. Please forgive me. Please wash me. Please cleanse me. And be the Lord of my life. Lord Jesus, fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit that I would have the power to live for you and to serve you until I see you face to face. I ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do we have communion? You have it on your seats. And uh, it took me about 15 minutes to open mine. So I'm going to just lead us in communion here, and then the worship team is going to close us in a song. But... You open up that top piece and get that bread. On the night before Jesus went to the cross, he took the bread and he broke it. He blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. I'm not going to eat of this bread again until I see you in my kingdom. And so he took the bread and gave it to them. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. As we hold the bread in our hand, Lord, we pray that you would hear our hearts. Lord, we can't believe your love, your incredible love for us, that your body was so brutalized and broken for us. Thank you, Jesus. You took the punishment that should have been upon us. Let's take the bread together.
Lord Jesus, you took the cup and you blessed it and you gave it to them and you said, this is the blood of the new covenant, the shedding of your blood for the remission of sins. And Lord, as we hold this cup in our hand and it's the color of your blood, we remember you, Lord, and your blood that was poured out, your life that was poured out for us in our guilt and in our shame and our sorrow and our bondage to sin, Lord, you poured out your life to set us free. And Jesus, on this Easter weekend, we just want to say thank you for your blood that was shed for us. Let's take the cup together. stand together and sing this closing song with the team. Happy Easter, you guys.